Good morning. So, um, great to be with you this morning. Um, so, as we said, the, the talk this morning, the thing we're going to focus on um, is on fasting. So, we're in the middle of this series um, called Unforced Rhythms of Grace, um, which is all around helping us to be with Jesus, to be more like him. And in the sort of the third, the trilogy of the series later um, next year, we'll be around going and doing the things that Jesus did. Um, and so, if you're a, a Christian this morning, um, there's fasting's an important thing for us to understand and to do. Um, There's a really interesting um, sense that if you look at Acts 13 when they're um, appointing um, Paul and Barnabas to go, um, it says that they were worshipping, praying and fasting. And the really interesting thing is in the church, uh, in in Europe certainly, there's been a great resurgence of, you know, a focus on praying and a focus on worship. But I just don't think there's been the same resurgence of focus and importance on fasting. And we'll see that fasting isn't everything, but it's also not nothing. It's something that really clearly we are meant to do. Um, So if you're a Christian, it's just really important for you to be here, so welcome. Um, if you're not a Christian, um, then you might think, well, this is, this is maybe just you know, something for Christians to do, and it's maybe not a thing for me. Um, what you'll see is, particularly um, as we get into some of the, some of the verses later on, you'll see that, that through the looking at fasting this morning, you will get a grasp of the heart of what it means to be a Christian, and some of the incredible promises that God gives to people when they commit their lives to following him. So it'll be really good for you as well. Um, so I'd say we're in the seas, unforced rhythms of grace, but um, there's there's a nice. Um, uh, I've just really enjoyed I've, my sort of the talks that I've been allowed to share with you this morning. There's been like almost like a, um, a sort of building on them. So I first got to talk to you loads, probably ad nauseum for some of you, but around the the expectation of a Christian should be to daily hear your Father's voice, to know God, to walk with Him, to speak with Him, and have Him um, interact and, and talk back and forth, and, and kind of be intimate with you in your life. And so we talked about that a lot. And then um, I kind of came and spoke about holiness um, and how that we are we are made holy. So we were really clear that um, the only way that we are made saved and justified is through Jesus' death on the cross. And at that point you become a Christian, you're made holy. But there's also an incumbentness upon us to pursue holiness. And so it's not just that it's a thing that happens and through the power of the Holy Spirit we are called to pursue holiness. We had this verse, Hebrews 12, 14, which said um, that um, you, know, like you are to pursue holiness. Without holiness, no one will see God. And the word see there was the aha. And so what I'd been saying, oh, it's great, we're, we're supposed to be able to find God in the moment. There was some resolution to how we're supposed to do that is this pursuit of holiness. And remember, God is holy. So when I'm saying pursuing holiness, I'm not saying pursuing anything else other than pursuing God. So to pursue God, God is to pursue holiness and to pursue holiness in his very nature is to pursue God and it can only be done in the power of the Holy Spirit and we're only saved through Jesus but there's something on us to be active in our faith in this pursuit of God and so now we come to talk about fasting which is great because it kind of ties a lot of these things together you'll see some of the verse later there's um, there's some really um, there's there's one passage we'll look at later which takes all three of these messages and and brings them to a conclusion for us this morning which is going to be um, exciting so um, what we're going to do is, first of all, we're going to look at um, sort of just a, a, um, a, an overview of what the Bible says about fasting. So that'll kind of be like part one, not evenly split. Don't worry if you start panicking, looking at your watch as I'm going through part one, they're not evenly split. Um, but we're going to look at um, what does the Bible teach us about fasting? And then we're going to look at um, the, there's something of fasting that, that um, opens up this bigger dynamic of what the Christian life means and how we're supposed to live. And so we'll look at that um, second. 
Um, I should also say that um, I'm not going to talk today around some of the um, the practical things around fasting, like about you know if you've got medical conditions or you've got diabetes or you've got this or you're pregnant. Like so, I'm not going to cover that. If you feel compelled by God this morning to go and consider fasting and doing it, then um, you can speak to someone if you need wisdom on it, or you can go and um, sort of Google kind of you know how to fast. And so there's all sorts of useful things that people um, can tell you around how to prepare to, to fast as well. Um, so let's go. Actually, let's pray first. Father God, um, Lord, I, I genuinely believe there's something for your church to, to re-grasp around the joy and the beauty and the power um, in us fasting and dedicating ourselves to you. And so, Father God, would you do more than my words this morning? Would you come and speak um, to us as we look at this? Okay. So, first of all... Um, it, it's not Christian fasting unless it's God-focused, okay? Now, there's a resurgence in the world around us just now to actually um, medicine and science are saying, actually, there's benefit, there's health benefits to fasting. And there's all these research that's coming out saying, actually, it can be a good thing for you to fast. And so there's a danger for us that we start to get swept up into the worldly thing of like, oh, I'm fasting and it's great and I'm doing this for health reasons, I'm doing it for all these sorts of things. But actually, it's not Christian fasting unless it's God-focused, okay? It can be fasting unless it's god focus, unless it includes wanting more of God, unless it's looking at God. The, the, the thrust of our fasting has to be God-directed, okay? So, first things first, it's not Christian fasting unless it's focused on God, okay? Um, just to get that in there. Okay, second. Okay, it's not fasting in the way the Bible talks about fasting, unless it's fasting from food. Now, some of you might be instantly bristled at this and say, Whoa, I've heard some, I've heard some preachers say that, you know, basically you can fast from if you're, you know, watching too much TV or Netflix or, you know, you can fast from all these different things. And I'll come and talk about that in a second, okay? But it's not fasting in the way the Bible talks about it unless it is fasting from food, okay? So there's, there's, um, it's unambiguously agreed from David to Nehemiah, Isaiah, the prophets, Jesus, the New Testament, that when the Bible talks about fasting, it's talking about a, a, a period of time abstaining from food, okay? So when the Bible talks about fasting, when you read about fasting, that's what it's talking about. And they're, they're, the, these um, groupings aren't, aren't biblical, but they come from the Bible. There's sort of three types of fast you see people doing. What you might call a normal fast, which is abstaining from food, but not water. And so that's um, in Luke 4 and Matthew 4, when Jesus goes into the wilderness for 40 days, Luke 4 says he, he didn't eat during that whole time. So it was a fast from food. The, the suggestion there, and you see it in lots of other places in the Old Testament, is that, um, that they were taking water. You then have something what I would call a partial fast, which is abstaining from some foods. So a really good example of this would be Daniel. When they get taken in, they're, they're, um, these young men are taken to be trained up in the courts of the king and they're, they're fed from the king's table, given his rich food and wine. And Daniel and the guy say, no, 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 we're going to live on a simpler diet and God's going to provide for us. And so they fast from certain sorts of food. Okay, so there's, again, there's grounds for what I would call partial fasting, where it's fasting from some foods, again, for a specific time and a specific purpose. And then you've got an absolute fast, abstaining from all food and water. Um, another term for that might be supernatural fast, because we know medically, John will start jumping up and down if I say fast from water for 40 days, and we'll see how that goes. But um, there is something in the Bible of this absolute fast, abstaining from all food and water. You see it in um, Ezra, Esther, Acts, Deuteronomy, 1 Kings, and various other places as well. Okay? So when the Bible talks about fasting, it's fasting from food, either from food, but still having water, fasting from some foods, a partial fast, or an absolute fast that the Bible talks about as well. 
Okay, now, so when we're talking about fasting, that's what we're talking about, a period of abstinence from food. But the fasting principle can be applied to other things and be really, really healthy and really, really good. So you can take the principle of fasting and say, I am going to um, stop for a period of time, I'm going to stop um, going on social media or watching Netflix or doing all of these different things, and I'm going to abstain from these things, and I'm going to spend that time instead focused on God, either praying or, or for a specific purpose. Okay, and so you can apply the fasting principle to loads of other areas in your life, and it'll be good. You'll be blessed by it. But it's not the same as fasting from food. And so the easiest way to think about this is it's an and, not an or. Okay, so when we talk about fasting, you should be fast. If you're fasting, it's from food and you can fast from other stuff and you'll be blessed by it. But it's not a case of I'm choosing to fast and so I'm going to fast from food or something else. Okay? So it's an and rather than an or. Now, you will be blessed from applying this fasting principle, but it's not the same as when, um, when Jesus instructs us to fast. He's talking about food. Okay? Um, and so, yeah. There, um, just, uh, just for completeness, there, there is um, a precedent, as it were, for this in the Bible. So you see in 1 Corinthians 7, 5, um, where Paul's speaking and he's saying to married couples, he's saying, you know, don't withhold yourself from each other. Um, and he says, ah, but you might choose to, for a period of time, withhold yourself from each other to dedicate yourself to prayer. And God will bless you that. But he then says, but don't do it for too long, otherwise Satan will come and tempt you and things will go off the, re- off the track. So there is um, precedent for applying this principle of fasting elsewhere. But without, um, without any exception, when the Bible talks about fasting, it's talking about food. Okay, so I'd say those are like solid foundations. It's God it has to be God-focused, otherwise it's not Christian fasting. It's food-related, that's what the Bible teaches us. And then from there, sort of kind of, it goes from kind of being me being, sort of here are the sort of um, more closed-hand things, to suddenly you get this, this breadth of the way that you can fast. And so what I would just show you is there's different types of fasting, there's different durations of fasting, there's different motivations for your fasting as well. So let's start with types. So um, you'll see here there are five different sorts of types of fast that people do in the Bible. So there's a private fast, so a personal pursuit of God. And so the reference here for Matthew 6 is where it says, oh, you know, when you're fasting, you know, don't make a big deal of it. Don't, you know, like, it says, wash your hair, kind of, you look smart. Don't kind of, you know, walk around all pale and pallid. You say, no, no, this is something that you'll do with your Father in heaven. So there's a private fast that's, that's just between you and God. You then get what I would call congregational fasts. So you see that in Joel 2 and Acts 13, the one I mentioned earlier, when they're about to send out Paul. Um, And so they get together and they fast. And so it's a local group of believers gathering together to fast, to see more of God in a particular way. So this is the sort of thing that you could consider as a small group. You could consider as a church. You could consider as a group of friends. If there's particular areas or things, some of the motivations we come on to, this is a good way for you to do it. And it says that we're to live in community. We're to, to walk well alongside each other and help encourage each other in our faith. And so this might be a way for some of us to do it. And you then go what I would kind of call regular fasts. So these were kind of like, almost like diarized fasts that they, that they would basically have. And so you see um, there Leviticus 16, it's the Day of Atonement. Um, there's monthly fasts, Zechariah, I think it's the, the 10th day of the 7th month or something that they had this kind of regular fast. And then um, in Leviticus, I think it gets bumped up again to the 5th, 6th, 7th, 9th and 10th months or something. But so there's these kind of regular fasts or Lent would be a good example for some of us. You then have what I would call occasional fasts. 
Um, so this is um, a season of fasting in response to a particular situation or circumstance. Now, if there's one thing I've mentioned every time I've preached in here, it's 2 Chronicles 20. I love this passage. So you thought that you might get away without me talking about 2 Chronicles 20 for once, and you don't, because in 2 Chronicles 20, um, there are besieged on all sides by armies. And so they... Um, Zephaniah, who is it? His name will come back to me. Anyway, he, Jehoshaphat. There we are. Man, I wish, I sh- you'd have thought I'd have known him by now. Um, but he calls a fast for the people to seek God in a particular circumstance. So that's like an occasional fast. And then you've got a national fast. So that's gathering as an entire nation to seek God. So the good example there would be Jonah. Jonah's really interesting because um, he goes and he gets sent to Nineveh to tell them repent. He does like a terrible sermon, like you know, like the worst call to repentance ever. And suddenly they're convicted because God's there in the moment. And so this ungodly nation repent, they turn to fasting, and God relents. He spares them because they turn to fasting and prayer and seeking him. Okay? So private, congregational, regular, occasional, and national. Now How unrealistic would it be if on the 11th of December this month, uh, this year, someone said, it's a general election, we're going to call the nation to fasting, prayer and fasting. And yet, really interesting, 1756, okay, so it's a long time ago, but also under 300 years ago, the King of Britain called for a day of prayer and fasting. There was a threat of invasion by the French, and so he called Britain to a solemn day of prayer and fasting. And so you get him on the 6th of February, John Wesley writes in his journal, the fast day was a glorious day, such as London has scarce seen. Every church in the city was more than full, and a solemn seriousness sat on every face. Surely God heareth prayer, and there will be a yet a lengthening of our tranquility. And in a footnote of the same journal, he writes, humility was turned into national rejoicing. The threatened invasion by the French was averted. It's less than 300 years. Britain, as a nation, as a national fast, was called to say, guys, we, we need to turn to God. And they did. Bang. The invasion by France averted. It's incredible. So there you go. Five types of fast. Okay. Um, there's then different durations of fasting. So um, you see Moses, Elijah, and Jesus all fasted for 40 consecutive days with outbreak. Okay? So there's a a duration of fasting which is like a a condensed period of focus time, this. Okay? Um, You then see what what would be more common um, in the the earlier church and and certainly in kind of church history um, would be what, um, you sort of kind of a one day fast from morning until evening. So on this particular day we will fast, you know, from when we wake up until dinner time or sundown or whatever it happened to be. Um, And then there were other fasts that would last like in perpetuity so like they would just keep on going so the kind of the yearly fast and so it would be like for example <clears throat> they would have them on the fourth and the sixth day so Wednesdays and Fridays until 3pm and that was just it it was every Wednesday and Friday kind of you know as part of the calendar and so in terms of the duration of fast there's again really good precedent for a, a fixed blocked focus of time there's sort of kind of these kind of you just actually we're going to pick a day or a particular season for, for something and then there's this kind of you know more protracted over a longer duration of time just this regular interval of fasting okay so that's type duration um, and then motivation <clears throat> so this is um, I, I, I wouldn't be confident enough to say exclusively this is the total sort of um, a summary of fasting in the Bible but it's a it's a pretty um, comprehensive list of some of the motivations of why people were seeking God more in fasting. 
So first up, you've got strengthening earnest prayer. So Ezra 8 is a great example. So I've kind of put this up. You can take a snap of it on your phone. If you're a fast writer and you want it, you can scribble it down. But um, you can go and read this if you want. So um, there's something of this strengthening prayer um, that Ezra used it for. Um, Seeking God's guidance. So Judges 20 is a really good example. So Samuel gathers Israel together. Um, they're in bondage to the Philistines and they don't know what to do. And so Samuel gathers them and basically says, let's seek God. Um, let's seek God's guidance. And God rocks up. It says, um, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. The Lord thundered. And with a great thunder, they were routed. Okay, so another example of seeking God's guidance. So again, when I'm reading these things out, this isn't just a, oh great, the Bible seems to talk about fasting. This is supposed to be instructive to us of saying, do you know what, actually, I'm really, I need God's guidance. Well, there's really good precedent. You can take Judges 20 and you can take Acts 14 and you can use those to fuel your prayer. You can say, my God, I feel like Samuel. I feel, I feel just trapped and I don't know what to do. God, you did it for them and I'm your son and your daughter in the same way that they are. And I'm coming, you know, so like this is, this is supposed to be tools. The Bible is there for us to be used as a weapon, as, a, as a, our daily bread that we eat. And so this isn't just, you know, by the by. Deliverance and protection. 2 Chronicles 20. In case I hadn't mentioned it. There we go. Um, so you've got um, uh, humbling ourselves before God. So again, uh, Kings and Sam. Um, expressing repentance. So we talked about this already with um, Jonah gets sent to Nineveh. And they repent. And so there's something of this repentance of actually um, they're, they're suddenly confronted with their sin. And just their, their undeservedness um, of God. And say, so, you know, I'm going I'm to turn. You know, if you think of your mourning, if, you, if something tragic happens, like you're so, oh, you can't even eat. And there's something of what happens to the people of Nineveh that it's just, it's this expression of repentance. Oh, I, can't, I can't believe this is who I am. God, I need you. Expressing grief in Samuel. Dedication and overcoming temptation. Really interesting. Matthew 4. Jesus at the start of his ministry. God. God in human form. Says, you know, before I go and start my ministry, I'm going to go and have 40 days of prayer and fasting. And we know he's tempted during that time. But there's this sense of dedication. Or even just a sense of like overcoming temptation. That Jesus uses prayer and fasting for. Or expressing love and devotion. I love this. Luke 2's, um, the, this, this woman's incredible. It's this widow who, and we don't know how old she is, but it says seven years after she was married, she lost her husband. Um, and it says, the widow, she never left the temple. She worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. And I think this was kind of, she was like mid-80s or something like this. So, you know, you're looking at like 60-something years of her life, just out of a love and a joy and a delight in God, praying and fasting. Not just praying, not just worshipping, not just praying and worshipping, but praying, worshipping and fasting just out of love and adoration for God. So there's, there's something of fasting that intensifies our prayer and intensifies the desire of what we're after, which is either God, it has to always include God, point one. But there are other motivations, other reasons why we might want to pray and fast. It's, um, I, I can't remember who it was. Someone described it as it's like it's a physical exclamation point at the end of your sentence. Like your body is this physical exclamation point. God, this much. This is, this, is, this is my desire and my longing for it. Which I really like that idea. So that's what the Bible says about um, some of the, the types of fasting, the durations of fasting, the motivations for fasting. And um, it also healthily, helpfully talks about wrong motivations. Okay, so um, just three um, quick examples of where um, we would say that the motivation for fasting would be wrong. 
So, to be seen by others. We've already mentioned this already, but Matthew 6, um, it's, it's, and, and the, the heart behind Matthew 6 is not whether or not people know you're fasting or not, but it's about fasting where you want them to notice and think of you as being so special and pious and so godly and so Christian. Oh, aren't you? Oh, I can't believe you're... And so there's a, it's a motivation of the heart thing here, because we've seen, it talks about private fast, but there's also congregational and group fast. And so even in those situations, it, the same Matthew 6 teaching applies. Okay, so if you find that you're fasting because you're wanting other people to notice how good you are, or things, then um, there's a, a passage later will come which, like, in the most direct way possible, assaults the idea that we should be allowed to fast, and that should be an excuse for us to treat people badly because we're tired or hungry or whatever. Um, to be justified by God, Luke 18. So this is the, the two guys come to prayer, and one of them kneels down and he's like, he says, oh God, you know, I'm so good. I do everything you want. I fast twice a week. And I'm so glad I'm not like that guy over there. And then you've got the other guy that comes up, not fasting, nothing, just comes up and says, God, I'm a sinner and I need you. And Jesus says, yeah, the second guy was justified before God, not the first. Okay, so if we're using our fasting, say, well, I'm going to do this, and then God owes me. Okay? It's a wrong motivation for fasting, and it's not something that I can imagine God blessing. And again, we'll see that in the passage later on. Um, and then the final one is to be, to be commended to God. So 1 Corinthians 8, 8 it sort of does it the other way, but it says, food doesn't bring us nearer to God. Okay? So there's nothing about it. So can they say, you know, food, and the right foods doesn't bring us nearer to God. And so food doesn't commend us to God. Therefore, not eating food also doesn't commend us to God. So it's not like a, a slot machine where, you know, basically I'll do this, and I'll put these things in, and I'll not, or I'll not put these things in. There's a better way around. Um, and then God owes me or deserves me. I, I, God now, I now look better to God, and so he's more likely to give me what I'm wanting. Okay, that's not what fasting is about. Now, final kind of fast fact, if you want. Jesus says to do it. And I find this challenging because I don't know how often we would, you know, like if someone was basically saying, well, you know, I don't think I'm supposed to give money to the church or I'm not supposed to care for the poorer stuff. I think we would all be like, well, actually, <laughs> the Bible's really clear about that. But how many of us have taken ourselves to account and said, actually, Jesus says that we're meant to fast and I'm not doing it. And it's a really clear instruction. So um, you see Matthew 6, Jesus says, when you fast. He doesn't say, oh, if you fast... Or if you feel like it, then you should do it. He says, no, no, when you fast. Jesus' expectation is that we are fasting. Matthew 9.15, Jesus is um, walking with the disciples and they're eating the, the corn from the, the heads of corn. And the religious leaders come up and they're like, whoa, 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 how come your guys aren't fasting? Your disciples aren't fasting and we're fasting, why not? And Jesus says, oh, no, no, he talks about himself as a bridegroom, says, no, no, I'm with them, but... They will fast. He says, when I go, when I'm not with them, they will fast. So Jesus' expectation is that we are a people that fast. Now, um, that Matthew 9 chapter, that section is quite interesting. If you want, you can go and Google and get some studies around that. Because Jesus then goes on to talk about new wineskins and, and things like that. And there's just something interesting around the difference between Old Testament fasting, where they are longing for God, and New Testament fasting, where we've already tasted something of God. When you're saved, you're, you taste God in a way that the people in the Old Testament didn't. And there's this, this newness, this intensification, where our fasting is not longing for something we've never tasted, but it's longing for more of what we've tasted in God already. So you can go and have a read of that if it, if it helps you. And so the thing is, fasting sounds really simple. 
But it ends up just through the world, through our flesh, through just Satan, all this stuff. It ends up being something that feels more intimately complicated than we, than we would think. But God's really clear that it's something that, that we should do and it's good for us. Um, there was, um, I think it was John Piper talked about when God tells us to fast, it's not a job description, okay? He's not saying, oh, you know, here's your job description and tick all your things and then you're done. That's what the first guy was praying, saying, God, I've ticked all the boxes, you owe me. He says, no, 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 fasting is not a job description, it's a doctor's prescription. You know, when you go to the doctor and they say, take this, it will make you stronger and healthier. You don't then go, well, I really deserve being stronger and healthier. You say, no, no, no. Because I took what I was told, it made me stronger and healthier and better. It was good for me. Okay, so fasting's not a job description, but it's something that God prescribes us to do. So again, let me just, just restate, it's not everything, but it's also not nothing, which is, I think, sometimes how we treat it. It's something God's ordained. It's something he said we're meant to do. And it's something that when we do properly in the way that we've talked about, it's something he will bless us through. It's wonderful. Now, I've kind of, I've, I've kind of teased a passage throughout. I said up front that um, in this little kind of mini series that I've been going through of this, finding God in the moment, holiness and fasting, that there was one passage that brought this all together. Um, and so what I want to look at is that there is actually um, the... The concept of fasting, there's a passage in in Isaiah that we're going to look at, which takes fasting from being just a thing about food and a a very prescriptive thing about a particular of our life, and like explodes it up to this grand vista. Like, you know, you just imagine, like, you know, we're sort of going, well, fasting's this little small thing here, and then God takes you to the edge of a mountaintop. He says, no, no, fasting in the Christian life, it means this. It's so much bigger and more expansive than you realise. And it's Isaiah 58. So um, if you've got a Bible or an app on your phone or whatever, you'll probably just find it helpful to have Isaiah 58 in front of you. Um, I tend not to put big chunks of passage on the screen because I like you looking at it in front of you. It's more helpful for you. So um, apologies if you're upset that I've not got it on the screen for you. But um, Isaiah 58, we'll read through it and then there's a few things I want to just quickly pull out. So Isaiah 58 is titled True Fasting. Okay, so the subtitles aren't original in the Bible, but they are instructive of what's coming. And so Isaiah 58 talks about true fasting. So it says, shout it aloud, do not hold back, raise your voice like a trumpet. Okay, so this is Jesus saying to Isaiah, don't just go and whisper it to them and tell them what I'm about to tell you. Shout it and declare it to them. They need to hear this and they need to get it. Okay, verse 2. Day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways. Okay? Finding God in the moment. This, this is the stuff that I've talked about before. Our thing is supposed to be, we're supposed to be eager to find God in the moment. We're going to seek God out. God, where are you? What are you doing in this moment? Okay? So they're doing this. Tick. They're trying to find God in the moment. Day after day, they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways. Um, the end of verse 2 then says, they ask me for just decisions. They seem eager for God to come near to them. So this sounds like they're doing the right stuff. They're seeking God out. They're eager for God to come near. We've said already, fasting's about finding God, focusing on him, and they seem to be doing it. Verse 3. They say, why have we fasted? Okay, so they're fasting as well. They say, you've not seen it. Why have we humbled ourselves and you've not even noticed? And God's response to them is said, yeah, but on the day of your fasting, you do as you please. You exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I've chosen, only a day for people to humble themselves? 
is only for bowing one's head like a reed, for lying in sackcloth and ashes. Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Now, if we stop there, if Isaiah stopped there, we're in trouble. Because that contradicts what I've just said about a day humbling yourself before God, fasting and trying to seek him as well. So there's something really critically instructive for us to understand of what God is warning through Isaiah to this people. Verse 6. Is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice untie cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry, to provide the poor wanderer with shelter, when you see the naked, to clothe them, to not turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn, your healing will quickly appear, your righteousness, and then your righteousness will go before you. And listen, it's the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here I am. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, the pointing finger, malicious talk, if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry, if you satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness. Your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. He will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins, raise up the age-old foundations. You'll be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. And it goes on to talk about um, holiness and keeping the Sabbath day holy. See, God's response to the people is the way you are fasting is detached from your way of living. He said, you're basically coming and saying, and just imagine, imagine the the taste in God's mouth when they're standing there before God saying, God, I've not eaten today. And behind them are scores of people that haven't eaten for weeks and are starving. And they're saying, oh God, you've got to listen to me because I'm so hungry. God says, no, no, no. What about the people behind you? You're taking the food out of your mouth. What are you doing to put food in their mouth? How are you caring for the people around you? It comes to the end of the day, you're striking your workers, you're treating people poorly. That's not the fast I've chosen. He says, is this not the fast I've chosen? Free people from burdens? Verse 6. Feed the hungry, house the homeless, clothe the naked. He says, don't turn from your own flesh and blood. Don't turn from humans around you, flesh and blood, just like you, that are in need and are struggling. Don't treat people with contempt, with a pointing finger and malicious talk. And verse 10, it's incredible. If you spend yourselves, he doesn't say just feed the hungry. He says spend yourself, invest yourself in it. Don't just give someone food, give them relationship and love and time. That's the fasting I've called you to do. Now, you might say, well, wait a second. (laughs) This is all sorts of fasting talk, Lewis. And yet, God seems to be saying, but you fasted from food. But this is the fasting I've called you for. And the thing is, there's this, what, I don't know if it's it's not even, I don't think it's even a word. I don't think it's even a term, but I've made it up for today. So um, we'll enjoy it. There's something of a fasted lifestyle that God is calling us to. Okay? So what's the, the premise of fasting? It's I'm going to give something up. And I'm going to have a life that is focused not on my own needs in this moment, but on God and the needs around me. Remember all the motivations we looked at? That's at the heart of fasting. God, I'm going to use my body as an exclamation point. I'm going to, I'm going to not eat because I long for more of you, God, and I long for this stuff over here as well. I long to see people saved and protected, all this other stuff going on. Okay? 
that seems to be the lifestyle that Isaiah 58, that God is calling us to live. A vista above just fasting from food, but this, this fasted lifestyle that again takes this principle of fasting and applies it across the whole of our lives. Now you might say, well Lewis, wait a second, you're hanging quite a lot. <laughs> you've got all these verses of scripture talking about food and fasting and then you've got one chapter in Isaiah 58 and you're saying this calls us to live a fasted life. Um, no, the whole of the Bible is about a fasted lifestyle. The whole of the Bible from first page to last is about Jesus. And what did he do? He gave up heaven, unveiled intimacy with God that he had enjoyed since time immemorial. And he gave that up to come and live in a broken earth. He gave up his heavenly body, his heavenly being, seated on the throne, perfect. Like such that that when John tries to describe in Revelation, he he starts seeing things that are contradictory because it's just so overwhelmingly incredible. And Jesus gives that up for a body that is, from the moment it's born, failing away and wasting away. And you think, well, why did Jesus do it? Why did he use his body as a physical exclamation point on the cross? It's because he was so consumed with the will of God. He was so God-focused. The, there was a quote um, I didn't read where Wesley talks around um, the, the purpose of fasting is about glorifying our Father in heaven. It's the reason Jesus lived this fasted lifestyle of giving something up and focusing on God's wants and God's needs and God's desires for his people. He did it because he loved us. Jesus fasted from his, his heavenly position because he loves you. And he wanted to make a way for you and I to be in right relationship with God. As Isaiah 58, it says, um, it says, there are people who have forsaken the commands of God. That was me. And that was you. Until Jesus came and took my sin and dealt with it on the cross. To make us holy, to make us like God. And Jesus fasted from food. It was part of his, his, just his pattern of living. But it was part of this bigger lifestyle of saying, I'm going to just put aside the things that I want and my needs to serve God and to serve the people around me, the needs that I see in the world around me. His entire life was a fasted life, giving up richness and goodness that was his rightfully to enjoy so that you and I could enjoy that. And he calls us to live this life as well, to take up our cross, to love the people around us, to feed them, to clothe them, to care for them, to treat them well. And he prescribes it not as a job description, but for our own health and our goodness. He's a loving God and knows the best things for us. And then you look at the promises. Man, I can think of no better description of life or the Christian life than what I read in Isaiah 58. It's staggering. He says, verse 10, then your light will break out like the dawn. Uh, So that's verse 8. Then verse 10, he says, then your light will rise in darkness. Your gloom will become like midday. Because it's how you live this fasted lifestyle, pursuing the desires of God, serving the people around you, doing the things that I've instructed you to do, Ah, and your, your gloom will become like noonday light. Man, there's so many times where where my life feels like gloom and God says, no, no, are you pouring yourself out for people? Are you doing the things I've commanded you? Ah, then then your day will be like light. 
Verse 8, physical strengthening. Your recovery will spring forth. Verse 11, he will give strength to your bones. He says, pour yourself out for others and your energy and God will strengthen you. Verse 8, your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. The glory of God will protect you when we pursue this lifestyle that God calls us to. Verse 4, find God in the moment. Uh, Sorry, uh, uh, promise 4, verse 9. Then you will call and the Lord will answer you. You will cry and he will say, here I am. Promise 5, God will guide you. Verse 11, it says, and the Lord will continually guide you. There's something that seems to be a pattern where God sometimes provides his most intimate guidance to those most bent on giving themselves for others and things around them. Especially the poor. Promise number six that God gives you in Isaiah 58. God will satisfy your soul. Verse 11 he says, he will satisfy your desire, which literally means soul in scorched places. Promise seven, you will become a watered garden. So in verse 11 it says, you will be like a watered garden, like a spring of water, a spring of water whose waters do not fail. John 7, 38. Jesus says, oh, from your innermost being, springs of living water will come and water a dry, scorched earth around you. God will come and dwell in you and, and him being in you will be like spring to a, a, a thirsty people. It's a promise when we, when we choose to live this fasted lifestyle that God calls us to. Here's a quote for you, which again is just, it's a paradoxical spiritual principle in scripture. As you pour yourself out, you become full. As you give away, you get more. When you're watered with God's grace, you do not merely become a wet, moist living garden. You also become a spring for other people. Promise number eight that you get in Isaiah 58 about this true fasting. The restoration of the church, the restoration of people around you, a temporary restoration to the world around us that will be made complete when Jesus comes back and he will restore and make all things new. But verse 12 says, those from among you will rebuild ancient ruins, raise up age-old foundations, be called repairer of their breach, restorer of streets in which to dwell. I just don't know if I can think of a better description of life, let alone Christian life, than those eight promises you see in Isaiah 58. When we do what? When we live the life that God has called us to. When we live out the model of life that Jesus demonstrated for us. And this is the same Jesus that says, oh, when you fast, when you care for the poor, when, when, when you do all these things. Um, I'm going to just end there and pray. Um, the, yeah, let me just pray. <laughs> Father God, oh God, we are a people that love you. And there is, there is no doubt about that. So God, if there's any of us in this room that are feeling unrightly convicted or guilty or bad about the things we're doing or not doing or any of these other sort of stuff, Lord God, would you just come and meet us in that moment, Lord God? This is about you calling us to live an even more sweet and enjoyable life. Not without trouble, but a life that has such sweetness and joy that it will be incomparable to the life we knew before. So, Father God, would you set in us now 
something of this message of Isaiah and this message that is across the whole of the Bible of the works that you've called us to do of the way that we are supposed to give not out of our surplus and our overflow but we're to give out of our need and our desire Lord God would you protect us from doing things for wrong motivations and wrong reasons God, even in your graciousness, even if we do it, even if we catch fleeting moments of ourselves doing things for the wrong reasons, God, you will even, you'll forgive us in the moment and you will bless us. Father God, I even just want to repent of myself and of the church as a whole. Lord, if there's any sense in which we have exonerated worship and prayer and missed out something else like fasting that you've called us to do, and then even more, even, even if that's not true, Lord, if we fail to live out the life, to love the poor, to clothe the people around us, to just even bring relationship to people who are, are desperate for love and for knowing you. God, would you give us wisdom and guide our steps really, really well. Lord God, I pray for health for us all in this. And God, I pray that you would be more and better known in the world, that we would see many, many people saved and set free because of the work that you will choose to do through us. Amen.